parables, little treasure troves of theological significance. Jesus loved parables. They were his go-to teaching tool. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite teachers and preachers, describes a parable as a small story with a large point. A small story with a large point. The essence of a parable is that it's an extended metaphor in which a difficult concept like the kingdom of heaven is compared with a more familiar one, usually in a brief story. Parables are not reducible to a single this equals that interpretation, which is why I think Jesus loved them so much. Parables are not simply stories like Aesop's fables or the grim fairy tales that reinforce moral values that lead to a good life. Nor are they riddles that are meant to stump your heart and leave you confused and wondering, never knowing an answer. Like any good teacher, Jesus' parables left people thinking. They left the disciples and the crowds of people who wondering, what did he mean? But after they thought about it, they were able to draw their own conclusions. Today, we find ourselves standing once again with crowds of people who are yearning to hear Jesus teach. If you remember, Jesus is out on a boat because this parable all of this group of five parables, falls within that same grouping that we talked about last week when we talked about the wheat and the weeds. This is from the same section. So if you remember, the people were on the beach pushing into Jesus, and so he gets on a boat with his disciples and pushes off from shore and begins to teach. So here we are again with those, with those crowds pushing and craning to hear the words of Jesus The creators of the lectionary pulled these parables from the same grouping, like I said, and I found myself wondering, why are we back here again? Why are we back on this beach? Maybe it's because in these parables, we see Jesus not just talking about, but more like harping on the reason why he has come for those who really need to hear it. By the time he finds himself on that boat that day, Jesus knows a thing or two about the world. He knows that people are searching for a Messiah. They are desperate for the one who has been promised to come and restore Israel. They are desperate for a Savior. But he also knows the way of the world. He knows the Roman Empire is firmly ensconced in Jerusalem and throughout the country, and that challenging their rule is dangerous. So he knows the people hunger for a Savior, but he knows that they're terrified of a Savior at the same time. Jesus also knows that he won't embody the Messiah's prophecies the way that everyone thinks they should be embodied. The people are fearful. They want a savior. They are afraid. They want hope. 
the power structures are too strong in their midst. There's no way he will meet all of their expectations. But he also knows, Jesus also knows that he came for a reason. He came because he could not let things stay the way they are. He came into the world to help us know about the reign of God. He came into the world to help us know the way that we should live. Six times on that boat, on that lake, and five times in today's grouping of passages, we hear Jesus say, the kingdom of God is like. He really wants the people to know that the reign of God is near, but that it might not look like what they are expecting. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Mustard seeds grow into huge plants, sort of like kudzu. Do you know what kudzu is? Yeah. I'm never sure, because it grows everywhere in the south, and I haven't seen much of it here. But kudzu is that awful vine that grows everywhere, covers everything, kills the plant. Now, mustard seeds don't kill the plants, but they're huge, and they kind of grow unruly, just like kudzu. It's everywhere. People might look down on it, and it comes from such a tiny little thing. The kingdom of God is like yeast. These are not impressive comparisons. On face value, they are small, inconsequential, and for some people maybe even a bit annoying. But they are common. They are common in every person's life. But maybe that is the point of the comparison. The mustard seed, the yeast... Both are present. Both are there. Everybody knows them. Jesus is but one man. He is working out God's reign through his teaching and through his preaching, through his healing, through his presence. But he is one man against an empire. To many on that beach that day, his efforts could be considered small. His efforts could be considered inconsequential given the grand scheme of the world around him. But he is there. He is present. Just like the mustard seed. Just like the yeast. When Jesus Jesus was present on the beach that day, the reign of God was relatively small. And now I want to move into the, another useful comparison here. His presence was relatively small, but his ministry, his life, the promise of who he was, was full of life for all people. It promised to grow and do amazing things. The mustard seed, the tiniest of the seeds, grows into a huge shrub providing a place of refuge and protection for the birds of the air. In Daniel, in the Old Testament, the birds of the air is used to refer to all the people of the world. Jesus is making a reference to that here, the scholars say, that this tiny little seed, this inconsequential thing that all of you would have, 
grows into something that will provide refuge for all people everywhere. The yeast, when added to the flour, will produce an abundance of bread. In this case, the yeast is added to three measures of flour, which by our standards is about 10 gallons. And that would produce enough bread for 100 to 150 people. This tiny little bit of yeast would grow to provide for a whole community, for all people. For those gathered on the beach that day, Jesus was tossing out mustard seeds, hope for their lives. The reign of God is here, he was saying. It doesn't look like what you expect. It starts out small, but it's big with life and will produce enough for everyone. And then the lectionary folks skip a couple of verses, and so we find that Jesus is now by himself with the disciples. And it's important when reading parables to keep in mind who Jesus is talking to. So you have to kind of figure out where he is and who he's talking to because it impacts the meaning. There they are in that room, and talk turns towards the kingdom of heaven. What does it look like? What is it going to be like? And Jesus tells parables again. But this time he doesn't focus on the nature of God's reign. He focuses on the overwhelming response made to the discovery of God's reign in our lives. Two of the parables are remarkably similar. In both instances, the finder does whatever it takes to have it. The finder does whatever it takes to participate in it. God is doing a new thing, and when you see it, you want it. You want to be a part of it. You want to help make it happen. Sometimes we go into the world searching for God's reign. Sometimes we're just looking for the presence of God in our midst desperate to find it because we need it. And when we find it, we hold on to it with everything that we have because it sustains us. And other times, we are just walking through life, attending to our daily business, going on vacation, going to the office, teaching our students, shopping at the grocery store, and the kingdom of God breaks into your midst and your eyes are opened, and you stop everything so that you can participate in it. However you discover the reign of God in your life, how do you respond? Like Jesus, we all have people around us all the time, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work, at the grocery store, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, we are surrounded by people. How do we tell them about the reign of God in our life? How do we help them know the reign of God is near? The kingdom of heaven, for me, is like an open invitation from a long-time friend to come and rest. The kingdom of heaven is like a little child 
who sees the sores on a volunteer's hands in the middle of a bate and then takes the gloves from her and puts them on her own hands and takes the wheelbarrow so that the volunteer can rest. The kingdom of heaven is like the tiniest of needles delivering life-giving medicine. The kingdom of heaven is like a neighbor who sees new parents struggling at 4 a.m., pushing a stroller trying to get their baby to sleep, who walks outside and says, let me push it for you. Go get some rest. The kingdom of heaven is like You all have your own parables to tell. The kingdom of heaven is like. How would you finish that statement? In your bulletin today, you'll see a page that we included in the bulletins recently for children in our midst to doodle and to scribble and for adults like me who need to do something with their hands when they're listening. The kingdom of heaven is like How would you finish that parable? How would you tell the people around you about the kingdom of heaven alive and present in your life? I invite you to finish that statement on this sheet and to hold it as a treasure or to share it with a friend, to send it to Derek or to me or to tack it on the board outside the main office. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It is here. It is in our midst. It is growing within us. How will we respond? Amen.